Well, if you have your Bible with you today, we're going to look at the first book of the Bible. And we're going to be talking about marriage matters. What better place to start on this series of family than starting related to marriage and what it is. Now, before we get into the depth of the message, I want to give uh, kind of some background or at least some, some baseline and some things that we would see as very important to us as we talk about marriage. Because we believe that uh, there's some great things that help it happen in our lives that are going to help us. And these, these truths about marriage are very important for us. See, we are a biblical-based church and a biblical-based people. We believe that the worldview in which we have, the worldview in which you look at the world and things are of the world should be based on God's Word. So the first thing I would say to us is that God's wisdom defines marriage. Okay, you can write that down. God's wisdom defines marriage. Now, we live in a culture that wants us to think that our culture defines marriage, that our culture tells us what is the right thing to do about marriage and the wrong thing to do about marriage. We, we get that with most of the TV shows that you might watch or movies that you might watch. The whole idea of redefining marriage has definitely occurred in American culture, right? Uh, there is a redefinition of what marriage is or redefinition of of what it can be or what it should be or when it should happen or all the things related to it. A lot of that happened just a few years back when the Supreme Court made a decision that supported what we would say is same-sex marriage. Now, I would say to you that the Bible is where we find our wisdom on marriage. It is where we as believers, and I believe the whole world, has missed the understanding that everything marriage is about started at the beginning. It started with what God did and how God designed it, and we're going to talk about that this morning. That's the things that we're going to discuss. But the first thing I want to lay that ground rule is that God's wisdom defines marriage for us, not our culture. And we have to work through that. We have to see that there's a difference. The second thing that I want to say about that is God's word is our guide to marriage. God's word is our guide to to marriage. It's not what we feel. It's not what we think. It's not what somebody's written for us. It's not some pop, pop psychology. It's God's word that helps us to be guided in our marriage understanding. Now, I know that in the room, there are people who are single. There are people who are walked through divorce. There are widows in the room. And so this message today, I would just propose to you that this is a very instructional message. It's not designed in its purpose to inspire you, though I hope it does inspire you to live out your life for Christ. But the purpose of this message is to instruct us about what the Bible says about marriage and guides us. Now, why would that be important to any of us? Well, because you have friends who are married, you might be divorced and you have children who are married, or you might be a widow and you have grandchildren who are going to get married. So inside of all of that, God's word is for all of us. So whether you say, well, this is a marriage message, well, it's, it's intended to instruct all of us in what God's word would say to us because God's word is our guide for marriage. In our culture, marriage has been demeanored, discouraged. I mean, how many words can you say about what marriage has been like and talked about in our culture? But the truth is, if we're going to have a strong understanding of marriage in the church, it happens when we begin to see that God's word guides all of us into marriage. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The third thing that I want to say as a ground rule, 
Uh, and it's, I think, probably the most difficult thing for me to say, honestly, is that God wants you to love him more than he wants you to love marriage. God wants you to love him more than he wants you to love your spouse. God wants you to love him more than he wants you to love your children. God wants you to love him more than he wants you to love your grandchildren. But see, God's whole design of who he is, that our hearts would be turned toward him first of all. And if we in our understanding as followers of Christ could turn our hearts to love him more than everything else, it's going to affect how we live out our marriage. It's going to affect how we live out our singleness. It's going to affect how we live out our relationship with children, with grandchildren, with those around us. So at some point, even though we have to talk about love inside of marriage, inside of relationships, the greatest thing that God wants us to do is to love him. That's why when we look at these passages of scripture today, it's God at work. It's what God has done. It's God's design. It's the fact that he is so involved with our lives, with who we are, and his heart is that we love him first and foremost. Now, I think that's a hard thing to say because oftentimes we try to let feelings, we try to let our relationships, we try to let a lot of other things take place and get in front of our love for God. Now, if you walk out of this building today and you, your heart hasn't turned more toward loving him, you've missed what God will have for you in 2019. Because you will never be able to love a spouse or be in a relationship or love other people to the depth that God wants you to until you love him first and foremost. Now, I just I make those three things because I think they guide everything that we're going to talk about in the next few moments. Uh, because if we understand God's wisdom defines marriage, that the Bible guides us, and then our focus in on loving him more than anything else, it would change everything about us. Now, based on that, let's look at, then at Genesis, the second chapter. Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 18. I hope you have your Bible, your iPad open, whatever you're reading today. It says this. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heaven, and brought them to a man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Well, if you have your listening guide with you today, we're going to look at some of these things uh, in a quick fashion. 
because there's so much in this passage that's going to help us to understand what it means to have a marriage that matters. And again, it's instructional. It's something that you can help friends around you to understand. Let's look, first of all, at a realized truth, a realized truth. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The first thing we need to understand in this passage is the Lord is the one who said it. It is God, not man, who realized that man was lonely. And that's a big piece of that, right? Because most of us, our feeling is, well, I'm lonely, or I need this, or I need this, or I need this. But in this passage, it is clear that God understood our predicament. God understands your needs far greater than you do. God understands the things that you need in your life far greater than you think you do. And that's very important because oftentimes we get into sin in our lives when we think we can fulfill for God what we want to do. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. That's why God's word guides us into this. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. God understood man's loneliness. Now, if you go back to this passage, you understand that in verse 18, God said that, right? The Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone, and I will make for him a helper, a helpmate. We'll talk about that in a moment. But then, the next few verses, God parades, parades in front of Adam all the animals, all the birds, and he wants them to give them names of all these things, and that's what we begin to understand here. But in the middle of that, what happens is that Adam begins to recognize that there's not one of these that he's going to connect to. There's not a bird or an animal or anything like that that's going to be made in the image of God in the same way that he is. So God recognizes his need, but it takes Adam a few moments, who knows how much time here that's given, it takes Adam some time to recognize that there's none here suitable for him, though God already knows that. Now, there's some great truths inside that. God knows your heart, God knows your need, and God is working inside that even when we don't realize. You think Adam recognized what God was doing? I don't think so. He was just doing what God was leading him to do. And so in this verse, it says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You see this helper fit for him, that word fit is the idea of suitable, it's the one who connects. It's not the animals. It's not the birds of the air. It's a suitable helper. And that's what marriage is. It's an understanding we have a suitable helper. A helper emotionally for our emotional needs. A helper to help us in, in many ways that God fit together. God fit us together emotionally. God fit us together physically, right? God's work, God's design was that man and woman fit together physically as well as emotionally. And so in this passage, he helps us to understand that marriage is God's plan. It is not how culture views it. It is not how culture tries to help us to see it. It's not like you would watch on TV in a show like um, an old, no show like Friends or a, a new show like Big Bang Theory. That, that whole idea of the freedom inside that is not a biblical approach. That's not what biblical marriage really is. God's design is for marriage. Let's go to the second part here, because the second part that he tells us is this not only a realized truth that marriage is God's plan, but a relational trust. 
We're going to look at verse 21 and 22 as we see this. As I said earlier, as you look at this, you begin to be instructed by what God teaches us. The man gave the names to all the livestock, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. The end of verse 20. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up his place with the flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now inside this, we begin to see that God did the creating. God is the one who created woman. It wasn't Adam. It wasn't Adam's even thought process. It was God at work. The Bible says that Adam was caused to be in a deep sleep and that God, God took the rib from Adam and God then formed a helpmate, one that was fit for Adam. Now, who's the focus on there? It's not on Adam because we know he had the need. It's not on Eve because she was being formed. The focus is on the fact that God is the one designing the relationship. God is the one in his righteousness and in who he is, is given to them this understanding of the relationship. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. Do I believe that to be literally true? Yes, I do. I believe that God's word guides us, and that is exactly how woman was formed. Now, if you try counting your ribs and see if you have one less than your, your wife, uh, it won't work that way uh, because you don't. You have the same number of ribs, right? Because God had already created. God's design was already there. What he did for Adam to create woman was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. What God created in us, a desire for him, and the understanding that he sent Jesus to fill that desire was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And so they began to relate to each other in that way. What God did in forming woman to make a helpmate for Adam, God has provided a relationship for us to him through the last Adam, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. But in this relational trust, we begin to see that God did the creating that he is in the glory of the relationship. It goes back to what I said earlier. Our, our focus is not our marriage. Our focus is God. And if somehow we could see the glory of the relationship in marriage, it would change what we do. It would change how we live. It would change our relationship with our spouse. Now, we get involved with all kinds of things in our relationships. Unfortunately, we get involved by looking at things on the internet, pornography being one of those things that changes our relationship. We get involved with other people that change our relationship. I would say to you, if you're having a, an affair outside of marriage, you, you need to stop because there is no way as a believer you're honoring God by doing that. That's just an impossibility. I would say to you, you better really pray and ask God if you're a follower of Christ, if you're doing those kind of things. Because at some point, if we're not giving glory to who we are or who he is, we have missed our understanding as a follower of Christ. Well, I'm getting off point. I'll try to get back on point here so that we can finish this message. The latter part of this in verse 22, the Lord came, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken from Adam and he brought her to the man. We have two daughters. One is married. When she got married, I didn't do anything as a father of bride but hang around and walk her down the aisle. 
That was it. Before she got married, we have, like I said, we have two daughters, and we had a young lady who was living with us. She lived with us for a number of years and met her husband, and they were great friends, still great friends. And um, when she got married, they asked me to do the wedding. And so I did. In about the middle of the wedding, I almost broke down. I got their names wrong. Now, you remember, she's living with us. I know who they are. We've known them since she was a little girl. But I, I just messed up because I got emotional. And so after that, I, I told my daughters, I said, when you get married... I'm not doing your wedding. I'm not the guy doing your wedding because I, I don't want everybody to think, well, it's a great wedding except Larry cried all the way through. It's like, man, I don't want him to remember that as the only thing worth the wedding. So when Kate got married, that's sure enough what happened. A professor at their university did their wedding and not me, but it was great. I got to be the father of the bride. What do I get to do? I get to bring my daughter to her husband. That was an important moment for our family. That was an important moment for her. Here, God brought Eve to her husband. He was the literally first father of the bride. He brought that woman to her husband. And, and I would say this to dads in the room. Sometimes we struggle with, with, our, with our daughters and who they're going to marry. And the truth is, that should be what we're longing for. We should be longing and praying for our daughters to meet that godly man in their life that we can walk them down the aisle and hand them off to them because that's what the Bible teaches us because that's what this relational trust is all about. Now, I understand that that relational trust is broken sometimes. I understand that causes divorce in families. I, I, I get all that. I mean, our family has walked through that with our, with our own relatives inside our family, and it's a difficult thing. Now, now, if we could spend time in chapter 3 of Genesis, we would talk more about the fall and, and how that became such an issue and where we are today in our relationships and where we are today, how difficult it is. But remember, I said this is an instructional sermon. It's to help us to help other people too if you're walking through that or if you're single right now and you may get married again. It's the understanding of how God brings you to that place in the relationship. It's another message for another time. The third point that we make today is not only is it a realized trust, a relational, uh, tr a realized truth, a relational trust, but it's also a reproductive time. I'm going to spend but just a few moments here because back in chapter 1, he has told them in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. And so God's purpose was that man and woman would be together in order to have children, right? You are here today because somebody got together and had a relationship and you were born. And that was God's purpose. We begin to understand that. We begin. Now, I know too that there are people who want to have children who are not able to. I again take you back to Genesis chapter 3 and the fallen state in which we live. The fallen humanity in which affects our human bodies. But more than that, if you take this passage and you go to the New Testament, you begin to understand that there are other ways of reproducing. It's not just reproducing a physical child. The Bible would teach us that we are to go and reproduce spiritual children. Matter of fact, he introduces that idea in John chapter 3 of being reborn, born again, a new birth. And who brings that but spiritual parents who help someone to be born again into a new life in Christ. Well, let's go on to number four before we run out of time. And number four, it's a redemptive theme. And we find that in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
Now, there's some things I, I want to just land here for a moment. Because in this passage, it tells us this is the why. That is why. Why? In order, in order to have marriage. And he gives us, I think, three important points in this one verse. The first thing he says is that this is why a man leaves his father and mother. The first thing I want to say here is that when we have a biblical marriage, I believe that is Bible-centered, the loyalties in our lives change. Hear me. The loyalties in our lives change. What do I mean by that? I mean that the Bible teaches us that we should be more loyal to our spouse than to anyone else. More loyal to our spouse than to our parents. More loyal to our spouse than to our children. More loyal to our spouse than an old girlfriend or boyfriend that we've connected with on Facebook. More loyal to our spouse than a person that we're talking to in the office and telling them all of our troubles. More loyal to our spouse than anyone else. I believe that's what that Bible teaches us. I believe that scripture says to us that you leave your father and mother, that you give up your loyalties in order that those loyalties become the loyalty to your spouse. I believe we've struggled with that as God's people even. I believe there are some who spend more time talking to their parents, a mother or a father, than they will telling their husband or wife about issues in their lives. I believe there are some who spend more time talking to their coworker at the office than they will to their husband and wife because, oh, they understand me. My wife or my husband doesn't. I think when you do that, you're on really, really shaky ground. And if you're doing that, I'd say stop it. Just stop it. Just be able to go and be loyal to the spouse that God has provided to you or the spouse that God will provide for you. Second part of this verse, the third, second part, this is why a man leaves his father and mother. Our loyalties change and holds fast and united. The word united means to hold fast. Now, this word comes out of a covenant relationship. Oh, I wish we had time to talk about a covenant relationship inside this because a covenant relationship that holds fast has its center in unconditional love. And I know that's one of the things that we struggle with. How do we love someone unconditionally when they do what they should not do? Now, obviously, there's sin and there's rebellion in people's lives, and it breaks apart families in so many ways. Remember, that is not God's design. And God's design is that man and woman are together, and that's what God is doing. And God's design is that man and woman are together so that they may reproduce, not only physically, but spiritually. And Ryan will talk about that a lot next week. But that holding fast, that sticking to it, oh, that's what he wants us to get to. How do we stick to the marriage? Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's the other person who doesn't stick. And there's nothing we can do about some of those things. But the truth is, God's design is that this marriage is a permanent relationship. Loyalties change. Love is unconditional. And then he says, and then they become one flesh. 
Now, this one flesh idea that we often talk about here is oftentimes centered around a physical relationship. That is not what this passage is talking about. It is just a small portion of what this passage says. What he is talking about when he says they become one flesh is life together. Living life together. It goes back to to who are we loyal to, right? It goes back to an unconditional love. It goes back to being able to say, this is the person that God has given to me. Now, I know that there are people who are looking for that one person. You know, it's got to be the person that God brings. Elizabeth and I have been married, she told me, 41, almost 42. Okay, yeah, she'll get that straight for me. 42 years coming up, right? Now, any of us could say, man, did I make the right decision? Is this the right person? Boy, was was I in God's will? Well, the truth is, when I asked her to marry me, and we got married, she was the right person. There was no other looking. There was no other thinking, well, man, I should have looked, I should have waited longer. I should have looked more. That all changes because my loyalty and my heart then is toward her, right? But let's back up all the, all the way to the beginning, all the way to the beginning of where I started. That unless we begin to understand, Unless we begin to understand that God is at work inside this, unless we begin to understand that God's wisdom is going to define our marriage, unless we begin to understand that God's word is going to guide us in our marriage, we're always going to struggle with these things. Not only us, but your friends and the people you talk to. So when you're counseling and when you're talking to people, bring it from God's word. Let them hear what God's word says about his design and the fact that our loyalties shift and our changes come along in unconditional love. And we began to say, in that, in that understanding of you get to do life together. So the last thing then is that word, a redemptive theme. Because we know that God is our redeemer. God is the one who takes us where we are and changes us. God is the one who takes our mistakes from the past or the consequences of other people's mistakes in the past. And God gives to us a new beginning, not like we have a new year, first Sunday of a new year. His redemption, his changing, his allowing us to start over. Start over in a new year, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance whatever it takes, because his word says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he doesn't put a cap on that. He doesn't tell us how many times we mess up or he's going to stop forgiveness. That's not what his redeeming love is. That's not what it's like doing life together with God. But that last phrase that I mentioned at the beginning, being able to love God more than you do other people. Being able to love him more than you do a desire to be married. Being able to love him more than you do a spouse. That is difficult. But it's only then, it's only when we focus on our Redeemer, the one who has died on the cross, the one who spilled his blood so that 
our sins can be forgiven, the ones who has cleansed us and made us right. So in whatever state we are in, when we walk out the door, we can say, I can, I can start new because of what he has done. The fact that he has raised from the dead gives me a new life. The fact he has raised from the dead allows me to see not only eternity, but the abundant life. Because Jesus said, I'm going to give you eternal life, but life abundant is what I want to give you also, which means which means for us, when our heart is turned toward him, our focus is turned toward him, it changes how we act, how we react, what we do, what we talk about, what we look at, what we say. It changes everything. So today, friends, turn your heart toward him above everything else. Marriage matters to us in our nation. Marriage is a core to who we are as a church. Marriage is a core to who we are as followers of Christ. But in the middle of all those things, our greatest love should be to the one who, while we were yet sinners, died for us.